Hey guys, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Intermediates, if you are still in, feel free to go out to your program out in the kitchen area. Um, but anyway, you might have caught that my name was Eli and kind of all week I've been tossing up this question that I really wanted to ask everybody. So I hope you're ready to put your hands up to respond. But, but there's just been this burning question and it's, do you put milk in your cereal first or do you put the cereal in first and then the milk afterwards? Who's like a milk first type of person? No one? Yeah, that's good, the right answer. Anyone put their cereal in first? Yeah, the whole, like pretty much the whole room. Yeah, that's the right way to do it. Good you, go you, go you. Cool. Well, anyway, if you haven't met me before, I'm one of the youth pastors here at Thrive Church and um, it's so amazing to work with your young people. Um, there's a bunch of you here that are here this morning and it's great, but if you didn't know, we have an amazing group of young people that come here on a Friday night. We've um, consistently beginning over 50 young people at the moment, which is super cool that people are showing up to find community here, find God and, and just be loved. And, and it's just amazing to get to do that. We've, um, we've gone through some challenging stuff this term with a few different people, but it's been really cool to work alongside young people through their teenage issues and just show them God throughout all of it. Um, it's been really great. Um, anyway, I kind of want to tell you a little bit about myself because I realize that a lot of you probably don't know um, a lot of my story. Um, so for me, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. We went to um, the Baptist church. Um, I'm in, from Nelson and I, um, I grew up knowing that God loved me and that there was a father and that there was a story for my life. Like there's Jonah and the whale and there's the three lads in the fire. Um, and like, you know, I grew up knowing all of these truths about me. I, I grew up knowing that God died for our sins. That he was the lover of our souls. And, and I, there was just all this truth that I that I knew that God was the holder of peace, that, that he was the mother hen. It's in the Bible. Um, and... I just remembered all these amazing things growing up that was part of my DNA. And then I remember for the first time I'd read through the Bible like a good Christian would do when you get your big boy Bible and there are no pictures. I, I remember reading through Isaiah and I got to Isaiah 6 and I just my mind was blown because all of a sudden I'm reading the angels cowering in fear to this God and, and, and Isaiah falling on his face before, before the Lord. And I remember my brain being absolutely blown, being like, that's not God. Are you kidding me? That's not the God I know. He's the holder of peace. That guy loves me. He died for me. That guy, like, that, the guy's not that guy. Like, we're talking about two different people here for sure. And I was, it would really confuse me, especially when you read things like Proverbs 19, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And it's just really crazy to think that those two people go alongside each of each other because it doesn't seem to fit when all you know growing up is that God loves you, he wants the best for you, like he's working everything together for your good. And, and it just is confusing because most people would say, oh, it's not actually a fear of God. It's more like a respect. It's more like a reverence. I'm like, have you ever read the book of Isaiah? Like, it's, it looks pretty serious. Like, this guy, Isaiah, is on his face before the Lord. Like, this guy is like, he looks really fearful. And it's probably not the Sunday morning message you were expecting right now. But it's confusing when you read things like this, when you don't know the whole picture of who God is. I just want to express the facts that understanding God is more than just a friend. It's so important to the church. It's so important to our faith beliefs. It is so important 
to know. See, because this God, He isn't just a father. He isn't just our friend. He isn't just the lover of our souls. This God is the creator. This God has fire for eyes. This God holds seven stars in His right hand. This God is so much bigger than us. He is a strong tower, our refuge. And that is crazy to me that sometimes we can knuckle Him down to just being our best friend. Because it is so much more powerful if you know that that is who God is, and yet He still chooses to be your best friend. That He didn't need you, yet He made you. He came down from heaven for you. It makes this whole narrative so much more powerful. It's just so crazy to me that that God wants to meet with us. It is so crazy to me that that God would strip himself of glory and come as a human for us. Like, it just doesn't make sense in my brain if you're trying to put the two together. It's not natural to do that. There's this, like, whole supernatural side, and then you see this Jesus who's this human, and it just doesn't make sense when you try to put these two together. I guess that's why he's incomprehensible. But it's crazy because he still meets with us today. We still have Holy Spirit encounter today. We still see people getting healed today, miracles being performed today. And it blows my mind that that God, that is the creator, that he is a refuge, he holds right, seven stars in his right hand, that God wants to meet with us and encounter with us. And it's crazy because we see stuff like this happening in the Old Testament, like over 2,000 years ago, that we see God meeting with his creation. I just want to kind of focus around the three patriarchs of the Old Testament for a moment, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. And, it's, and it, the stories are great. I'm not going to get into it for, um, just for time. But when God meets with these three individuals in the Old Testament, um, it says that he changes their destiny. Like there's, he, it goes from Abram to Abraham. He's like, hey, you're going to have a kid. He's like, there's no way. I'm old and I'm wrinkly. I don't want a baby. Like, but it's like there's things that are not natural to us that he can see, and he just changes the course of our destiny from one encounter. But the thing that blows my mind even more is what we see each one of the patriarchs do after they experience God. Because it says that they name the place where they met with God and that they build a well. And it's really weird because it says that Abraham goes, Abraham goes to Abraham, he meets with God, he makes this promise for his life that he would be the father of great nations, and then Abraham names the place that he met with God, and then he builds a well. And, and then it's the same with Jacob and Isaac. They build these wells, and I'm like, this, there seems to be a little bit of a theme going on here. And, and what I'm getting from this is that when God meets with us, we need to make it significant. We need to make it obvious. See, the title of my message today is called The Well. So easy. It's, it's, it's so simple to, to have this moment where you feel God's presence in your life or, or God change the, the course of destiny over you and, and, or a healing or something like this or, or you just know His presence and, and you just don't really think about it again. You just leave it there. And, and I want to encourage you, you need... We should be building a well around these places that God meets with us. And I'm not saying to like put a well right up here because there'd, no, there'd be no room in here and we want to fit 60 more people in. But it's important to make these places that God meet with us significant. Like I, I remember the, these times where I would experience God at a camp or a conference and, and then I would maybe two weeks after 
I was like, did God really do that for me? Did God, did God really heal me of that? Did God really change the course of my destiny? Did I really actually meet with him? And it's because I didn't make it obvious. See, building a well doesn't look like actually building a physical well for us, like, like the patriarchs. It looks like telling your mother, your brother. It looks like telling your sister, your grandson. It looks like telling your dog, your pastor, your life group leader that God did something in your life. Because what happens is two weeks afterwards, when you're starting to doubt, did God really do that? Your mother, your granddaughter, your dog, your life group leader, your pastor can tell you, are you kidding me? Do you not see that well that you built? Can you not see that thing that you did after God moved in your life? It's pretty obvious because it's standing like this high and it took you a while to put up. It's pretty easy to forget when there's not a well. It's pretty easy to put no evidence down and just say, maybe I didn't meet with God. But if you've done something specific and you've told people and they're going to remind you about it, they can say, actually, no, are you, are you kidding me? No, you told me that God moved. You told me something shifted. You told me the course of your destiny had changed. I, I want to inject a little bit more of myself into the story that I'm, that I'm building here because I am... Um, I really believe that there's power in testimony. Um, we talked about test power of testimony at youth group a little bit ago, and we're like, man, there's power in testimony. And then five young people came and said, can I share a testimony next week? And it's just been amazing having young people understand that there is power in testimony. So a part of my story is that I grew up in a pretty big family. I um. I just want to do a little show of hands. I know we did something similar at Mother's Day, but who has, who's like one of, like, who has two or more siblings? A lot of you. Who has three or more siblings? Some hands went down. Four or more siblings? A few more. Five or more siblings? Who has six or more siblings? That's seven kids in total. That's me. Oh, no, there's a few more. Who has eight or more? All right, we win. That's cool. But anyway, I grew up in a pretty big family. My brothers and sisters' names are Joshua, Caleb, Rebecca... Josiah, Miriam, Elisha, and Martha. And straight away, you think we're either Catholic or homeschooled. You'd be correct about one of those. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I, I grew up in a big family. I'm second youngest, as you might have gathered from that. But I, so I have three older brothers, and my oldest, <laughs> thanks, Sasha, um, and my oldest brother, Josh, was my hero. And this is a big part of my story. He was my hero. I, um, he, he didn't live in town. He lived in Christchurch. Then he moved to Australia. Then he moved back. But we were in Nelson, and I'd never see him. He'd come for Christmas, maybe once or twice throughout the year. And, um, man, I would just, all I would be looking forward to in the year was to see my hero. That's all I wanted was he would always bring me something, and I'd think he's the man. Like, once he brought me the surfer magnet from Australia, and I still have it to this day. But, like, that was my hero, he was the guy that, that made me smile, the guy that made me laugh the most. That's, that's part of my story, was this hero. And, and there was this one day that um, I, I remember waking up to this police officer in our house. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on there, man? Like, am I under arrest? But, but my, my dad comes to me and he says, hey, Eli, your, your hero died this morning in a car accident. And it broke me because what, what my family didn't know was a few years ago, one of my, one of my siblings and told me something that really broke my heart. I, um, I remember my brother Josh was there this one time. He's sleeping on the couch because, you know, who has more than 11 beds in their house? And um, I remember sitting there with my cereal that was cereal first, milk afterwards, and I have my spoon and I'm like, I wonder if I can wake him up. 
just want to spend some time with him. So I'm like, I'm tapping my spoon on my bowl. I'm like, when's he going to wake up? And, and one of my other brothers wake up and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just want to spend time with him. And he, our brother wakes up and he's like, he's super annoyed because it's like six o'clock in the morning. Like who wouldn't be annoyed at that on your holiday? But um, I, I remember my sibling looked at me and said, why are you so annoying, man? You know, you're the reason he moved away. You're just so annoying. And like, it didn't mean anything at the time. And like, there's no bitterness in my heart towards him. But it was a huge part of my story when my brother died that I thought I was the reason that I caused my family pain. I thought I was the reason that my hero wasn't there anymore. I thought I was the reason that my mother was always sad. I thought I was the reason. And, and this, it was, man, it was awful because I went through all my teenagers thinking it was me. And that that was my story. That was my destiny that I adapted for myself. I believed for so long that I was the reason that my brother had died in a horrific way because I made him move out of town and, and he didn't want to spend time with us. So I, I grew up my teenage years with this shame over my life because I didn't tell anyone about it. I, I grew up with this anxiety and this depression thinking that it was my fault. And that was the story I built for me. That was the destiny I decided was for me. I decided this God that, that, that loved me, surely he didn't actually love me because something so bad happened. And it was kind of my fault, so I thought maybe God couldn't love me because it was my fault. But that was such a huge part of my story. And I want to leave it there because we're going to get back to it in a second. But this well is built in the Old Testament to signify things. This well is built to show, no, actually, I think I'm going to keep talking about it because it sounds a bit weird to leave it there. But I remember this one year, I, I had gone to New Life Conference and, and I'd hold, held this shame and depression for most of my teenage years. I, I didn't tell too many people about it. A lot of people would probably realize I wasn't the happiest guy in the world, but I, they didn't know about this part of my life. They didn't know about the secret I was holding that I was the reason. And... Um, um, at New Life Conference, and you know, you guys remember the year that that guy went around and like prayed, and everyone fell over in that real Pentecostal way. Everyone's like, "Whoa!" And um, we're at a youth session, and he actually prayed for someone in front of me. And she fell right between my legs. It was really awkward. I'm like, "Well, I need to shuffle back. This is really weird." Um, but I remember he comes up to me, he lays his hand on my head, and I fall over backwards under the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's this vision that I have as I hit the ground, and it's. It's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a cool vision. I, I wake up and I'm in this warm and inviting room. There's this man there. He, he's warm. He's inviting. And there's this book on the table and there's this axe beside it. And I'm like, I'm going to die. This is kind of weird. Um, but in this book, there are just all these things that I hated about myself growing up. All these lies, I believe. This narrative that I built for myself. And there's this man that's just pulling these pages out and throwing them into a fire in the corner. And, and it was to signify God saying, I don't see you the way you see yourself. This story that you built, that's not the story I have for you. And, and then he picks up this axe, and I'm like, all right, here we go, it's time. And I look down at my wrist, and there are these chains on me that are labeled depression and shame. And it, man, I, I see my wrist and the, the scarred from holding these things for so long. And he, he grabs the axe and, and breaks him off me. And, and then I, I wake from this vision fully free. I wake from this vision with no depression, no anxiety, no shame over my life, knowing that that was not the story God had for me, knowing that that was a lie that I held on to for so long. I woke up with my course of destiny fully changed, and why I'm telling you it is because I had to make a mental effort to tell someone about it. 
because it would have been so easy two weeks later to have just said, did God really do that? When the enemy comes creeping back in, it's like, did God really do that for you? Yeah, because I told my mum, I told my dad, I told my brother, sister, grandma, pastor, youth pastor, youth leader, I told the people around me that said, there is without a doubt that that happened because you built a well about it. With the well, there is power. With the well, there is a place to remind yourself of what God has done. But you know what the whole purpose of a physical well to do is? It's to bring water. It's to bring water. So you can probably imagine where I'm going with this, but when you're building a well about something God has done, we need to dig into it. We need to dig deep into the word, dig deep into the promise God has done or the healing or the encounter to find the living water. Because it says that normal water, you're going to thirst again, but when there's living water, you won't ever thirst again. I'm only drinking natural water, so I'm thirsty again, see? But I want to bring this round to John 4. It says that Jesus came to a town of Samaria near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. A well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Funny that because I'm talking about wells this morning. It was about the sixth hour. A woman came from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it you, a Jew, would ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gifts of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will come in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. It's pretty powerful well, right? Because I don't know if you caught it, but that was Jacob's well 2,000 years ago. The point that I'm trying to make here is that your well was never just to remind you about God. It was so that people can draw the living water out of it. See, the encounter that you have with God is not just for you. If you don't build a well, it's actually really selfish to keep that encounter to yourself. See, because there's a testimony that comes out of it. There's a testimony that comes from it. That's why I'm sharing my story today. I want you to understand that when you build a well, it is not just for you, it is for the people around you. When there is a testimony, it builds faith. When and there is an encounter with God it isn't just to stop when the moment it is to keep going and showing people hey this is what God has done for me he can do the same for you you don't have to come to my well to drink water you can build your own it's this moment of saying you know what I uh, like Jacob I met with God, I'm going to build a well to show, and you see the water getting drawn 2,000 years later. It is a thing of, like, it's, it's, oh man, I just can't get over this moment that God would encounter us. It is just so wild that the God that holds seven stars in His right hand, has fire for eyes as your Creator, would have an encounter with you so you can build a well, draw living water out of the encounter, and take it to the people that need it. 
See, this well gives us the confidence to go out and share the gospel. This well we build is so powerful because the God that didn't need you, chose you, chose to encounter you in your space so that you can take him to other people. I wonder if I could get the band up. See, I held on to this pain and the struggle for so long. I, I didn't tell anyone about Jesus for such a long time and because I just felt like God didn't really care about me. And in a split moment, when I built this well, I started realizing that there was testimony and that there would be fruit from me telling people about him. See, I, I remember I, I had a... I, had my, I got married a little bit ago, if you didn't know, and it was pretty cool, I guess. But anyway, I... Um, Probably, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I know she's watching on the live and she's going to get me later. Anyway, I, probably what was cooler, no, not cooler, but the cool part of it is you get a bachelor party, right? And they're pretty fun, yeah, they're pretty cool. I know, I'm really digging myself a hole here, hopefully it's a well. But anyway, I, um, I had some high hopes for my stag do, right? I, um, I heard all these crazy stories about all these wild stag do's, and man, I wanted one of those for me. I wanted, I don't know why, but I just wanted something crazy to happen. Like my dad would tell me that he got like kidnapped, thrown on a train, and, and like got sent down to Dunedin, and he had to try to find his way back to Christchurch. And I was like, man, I want a story like that. Like that's what I want. And anyway, Part of my stag do is that I get kidnapped in the morning. I get taken half an hour from the airport. I'm in a pink unicorn onesie. I have my glasses, my shoes, and there's this plane ticket. I did not want to get on that plane that day. <laughs> I, there was like, there's no way that that's happening. So I'm like, surely they're going to be there at the airport. They'll pick me up. They weren't there. I'm like, surely they're going to come around the corner and we're all going to get on the plane together. They don't get on the plane. Luckily at the time, so we're kind of in the more of the height of COVID, so the plane was half empty because it was like 6.30 and I was like, oh, at least no one's going to sit next to me while I'm standing here awkwardly with a pink unicorn onesie on. I'm like, there's no way someone's going to sit next to me. There's no way. Oh yeah, no, no, there was a way. <laughs> I'm on this plane in this pink unicorn onesie and I just feel God tell me, you need to talk to him about me. I'm like, no, God, there is no way. This is not the place all the time. I'm in a pink unicorn onesie. My, I'm, my hair's wet because they poured water over me. I just, this is not the place, God. This is not going to be helpful for him whatsoever. And he asked me, well, how did you, how did you meet your fiance? And I kind of skirt around the fact because I met her at a youth group. So I was like, I'm just going to kind of avoid this question. And we were silent for maybe half of the trip. And he asked me, so how did you meet your fiance again? And I'm like, all right, fine. I'm going to, I can't avoid this. I can't avoid this even though I want to so badly. And I tell him, well, actually, I, I met my fiance at youth group. He's like, wait, you, you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a youth intern at my church. And he's like, that, no way. I, I wonder, I, I just felt God telling me that I had to talk to you about him. And I didn't want to because it seemed kind of weird. But I, I was like, yeah, I'm feeling the same. And he, he says, well, I'm, I'm flying to Nelson today to get baptized, but I'm not going to do it. It's, I, I can't do it. And he had this idea that baptism was, you couldn't make a mistake afterwards. That, that baptism was this thing where everyone sees you, and then if anyone sees you slip up, then they get to like, you know, like, go for it. And, and he was like, I can't do it because I, I'm not perfect and I won't be. He's like, I, I just, I'm going to run away when I get to Nelson. And... 
I get to tell them the truth about baptism. About It's a celebration of saying you're all in for Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not going to slip up. You're human. But it's a chance for everyone to see you go all out for God and say, I'm in. I'm invested. Everything for you, God. And, and to remind you, it's kind of like that well that we were talking about before. I was saying, hey, well, do you remember what the thing you did? Let, let's get back to it. And we, we tell him some truth around it, and I get to pray with him. And, and it turns out that he's actually an apprentice of one of our builders here at church. And, he, and John would say that it was one of the best days of his life because he went and got baptized that day. And, and, and he went and saw his family, and it was a celebration for him instead of the scary thing. And the reason I'm telling you this is because without that well, I wouldn't have been doing that in a pink unicorn onesie on a plane. There is power when you dig deep into living water. There is power when you build a well and make it obvious because, oh man, if I had have told Pastor Glenn when I got back to Rangiora that I gave up a chance to tell someone about God, he'd be like, are you kidding me, man? Like, you know, you build that well, why didn't you do it, you know? So a well is so powerful because there is a church family here to remind you of what God has done. I just... With Encounter, Encounter, not Encounter Sunday, with Expansion Sunday being next week, I want to finish on this final thought. It wasn't initially where I was going to go with this, but I, I just want to give you a final thought that I had last night when I was preparing. See, a well is really great to remind you of what God has done. It's really great to dig deep and take the gospel to people that need the living water. But I just wonder with Expansion Sunday being next week, would you go so deep in that well to say, okay, actually, Jesus, everything is for you. And I'm not asking you to pour out your pockets. It'd be great if you did. But we've got 8 million to get, guys. But I'm just saying, would you let that well be so prominent in your life that the other things start to fade away? Would you let Jesus be at the forefront of your vision as you go forward? Would that well be so powerful that you would be able to say, you know, I might not have much, but I know it's going to further the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to twist your arm into giving whatsoever, but I really feel there is something special when we can say, okay, God, it's not just me on a plane in a unicorn onesie that's getting people for you, God, but it's my money as well that is reaching people for the gospel. I just wonder if we could close our eyes as I pray and finish up today. Dear God, I thank you that you meet with us. I thank you that you are more than just a friend, that you are a father, that you are a creator, that you are a mighty warrior, God, and it makes it so much more powerful that you would meet with us. I thank you that you care for your creation. I thank you that you dress the lilies, so how much more would you care for us? I thank you that there is power in encounter, not just for us, but for other people, God. I thank you for testimonies that will arise. I thank you for giving that will come forth. I thank you for the power of living water coming out of this place. I pray that everyone in here would know your presence, God. I pray that you would give them the courage to go forth and take the living water out of their encounter to the people that need it, God. I thank you that you are so much bigger than anything that is in the world and we can find our confidence in you.
Jesus, I pray that you would bless your church. We love you, Jesus. Amen.